Let all mortal flesh keep silent. Silent night. There is something about Christmas and silence that just seem to go together, isn't there? Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the unique sounds and silence of the Christmas story. Uh, Silence can mean a lot of things. For some, silence can be relinquishing control. Silence can be a pause in the noise, a break in the busy activities of the season. Silence can be peace, as the popular hymn goes. All is calm, all is bright, sleep in heavenly peace. Silence during this season can be a beautiful thing. But of all the times silence is broken, wouldn't one expect the moment Christians celebrate as the second that God entered into this world in the flesh be one of them? Uh, People cheer when their team kicks the winning goal at the World Cup. We gasp when we see a beautiful sunset that captures us by surprise. Spouses shriek when their partners surprise them with an early return from from military duty. When something wonderful and beautiful breaks into the world, sound cannot be contained. But at the Christmas story, specifically the, the Christmas moment of Jesus' birth, sketched briefly in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, there are no words. A young mother who wasn't afraid to question an angel and who praised God with many words in the previous chapter is silent. A courageous man who took Mary as his wife at the word of an angel is not recorded as saying anything either. With so many beautiful nativity scenes and retellings, it's easy to fill the missing parts of this famous story with a warm smile or or tender words not recorded by Luke. But if we are too quick to fill that space, we might miss something important. After a long journey filled with hope and promise, this baby that was supposed to be king, that was supposed to save the world, was born where livestock rest. He was laid in a place where animals eat. Is it possible that the first Christmas moment was a letdown, filled with a silence of disappointment? One doesn't have to be all grown up to experience a Christmas letdown, do they? Uh, My first Christmas disappointment must have come as early as three or four. Every Christmas, we'd pile into my grandparents' house, aunts, uncles, cousins. It was a little red mobile home out in the middle of the country that had been added onto throughout the years. It wasn't much, but it was warm. The wood stove in the middle of the living room and, and electric blankets in the bedrooms were enough to fight off the cold chill outside. Now, don't ask me why we, why in the world we did it this way, but every cousin got presents from all of their aunts and uncles. It must have been before they invented Secret Santa or, or the infamous Yankee swap that has been destroying families ever since. I, I don't think it would have been a big deal if my aunt hadn't called attention to it. Uh, but in the middle of the cousin count, I got dropped from her list. She was very apologetic and and brought me one of my cousin's used toys. But it was a bit much for a three- to four-year-old to understand. I don't think the toy was broken, but I remember it that way. I know there was no wrapping. I took the toy, but didn't have words to express feelings that were too big for me at the time. So when no one was looking, I found my way to the tiny guest bedroom to hide.
I still remember that to this day. Maybe your Christmas letdown came in the form of a gift you were hoping for that you never got. Perhaps it came in the form of a loved one who couldn't make it home for the holidays. Or perhaps it comes every Christmas with the memory of someone you lost who won't be joining you this year. We put a lot of emotional stock into this time of year, and because we do that, it's so much easier to be let down in a big way. That's why what what we're going to talk about briefly on this night before Christmas, it's so important. When we have certain expectations and the result goes a different way, we look for a place to put our disappointment and often deflect it onto others. If you're anything like me, it's easy to be frustrated at people close to me when things don't go my way. Sometimes I'll even, I'll even blame God. Perhaps there are some of you here who don't believe in God or, or find yourself skeptical at least. And maybe you, like me, have blamed God at one point in your journey too. If God is in control, why wouldn't we expect the world to go a certain way? Bad things shouldn't happen. At the very least, bad things shouldn't happen on on Christmas. But bad things do happen on Christmas. Bad things happen. So how can we know that God hasn't let us down? Well, that's the question that I want to explore with you tonight. And that's the very question I imagine was on the imagination of a young teenage girl as she and her husband found strange lodging to prepare for the most spectacular event the world had ever seen. The ride to Bethlehem, it must have been difficult. The 90-mile journey up and down valleys would have taken a normal party at least four days. But a woman nine months pregnant? I imagine that Mary looked at Joseph and smiled as they pressed on toward Bethlehem. If he smiled back, she probably would have seen seen it as something that he was trying to hide behind it. Maybe it was a, a little fear that they wouldn't make it to Bethlehem in time to find proper lodging as party after party passed them. I like to think that Joseph was going only as fast as Mary could handle the journey, but he must have also felt the urgency. And she felt it in him. Everything would be okay, Mary probably told herself. As she had always been a person of faith, she had always trusted God to provide. But something happened over the past year that that took her faith to new heights. An angel appeared to Mary and said that she had been chosen to give birth to God's Messiah. Angels often appeared in dreams, and, and maybe Mary had wondered if it had all been a dream afterward. But the angel left her a sign. Although a virgin, the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would conceive. That was the first sign. But it didn't stop there. Several months later, Mary would make the long trip from Galilee to Judea to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who herself was expecting a child, although advanced in age. Upon seeing Mary for the first time, the Holy Spirit moved within Elizabeth to announce that she indeed would give birth to their Lord. That Elizabeth announced What the angel had said without being told by Mary stunned Mary and caused her to to burst forth into praise. This was the second sign. 
Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph finally arrived in Bethlehem, but there wasn't any space left. Don't worry. God has got this, she maybe said to herself. When the birth pangs came, she may have repeated it to herself again. God has not failed you yet. Why would he fail you now? Joseph was going door to door now as the hour grew late and the time between contractions grew shorter. Didn't the angel say no word of God will ever fail? She wasn't so sure now. Well, you know the rest of the story. It only takes Luke one verse to tell. Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then Luke moves on to the shepherds. Now, we don't know why the writer Luke doesn't tell us more about this moment. The writer Matthew tells us even less. Every emotion that you'd expect from the birth of your first child must have been there. Exhaustion, gratefulness, joy. But can you imagine having no other place to lay your child than a dog dish or a cat bowl? How about placing a future king in a chiseled stone container where a donkey just devoured its meal? Mangers weren't the pretty wood structures we see in nativity scenes. An animal would have knocked that over in a minute. They were heavy, rough, hewn rock structures. It's possible that that there were no words on that night because what could you possibly say? It wasn't just a royal birth gone wrong, wrong. It was subhuman. How could this possibly be the place where God's promised king would first set foot? Mary was no stranger to humble circumstances, but she could have never pictured this. This was not the way it was supposed to be. The very first Christmas moment was a letdown. And perhaps for the first time since she saw the angel, she allowed herself to think, how could I be such a fool? Well, what follows may be one of the hardest scene breaks in scripture. Luke cuts from the silent moment at the manger to what may well have been a rowdy group of shepherds in a field outside of Bethlehem. An angel breaks onto the scene and announces that a savior has been born in town. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And just like that, the story flips the strangest of possible places that you can lay a child becomes a sign for the shepherds to find them. The shepherds find Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus, just as the angel reported. They spread the word about what they'd been told, and people were amazed. But Mary, Luke tells us, treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. That's a surprising response to a surprising turn of events. Just when we might expect her silence to break, Mary continues without words. But something is different. God had turned the silence of sadness into the silence of gladness. Mary went from having no words and disappointment to being speechless over the mysterious work of God. Here in this last surprising sign given to Mary, we are brought back to the very beginning of her story with the promise from the angel that no word from God will ever fail. Just when it seemed like God's promise fell through, the apparent failure became a part of the story. It was a truth so mysterious that it was too big for words. God's promises don't fail. 
they just arrive in surprising ways. I have three kiddos, ages four, three, and one. They love surprises, but we're still learning exactly what they are. A couple months ago, I came home and told them that I had a surprise for them. Their eyes lit up big. One of them got close to me and asked, what is it? Well, it's a surprise. I can't tell you, I said. They looked down for a second. You could tell that they were thinking about it. Then they looked back up and said, yeah, but, but what is it? I was curious if we had learned a little bit more about surprises. And last week came the perfect opportunity. After arriving home, the two oldest approached me. Dada, they said in a hushed voice, there is a surprise for you in your stocking. But mama said we can't tell you what it is. One of the most important secrets to surprises is saying them in a hushed voice. My eyes got as big as I could make them. Really? I asked them. Confirming nods came back to me. Then I asked, but what is it? Candy, one of them said. Chocolate, the other specified after that. It turns out that my kiddos have discovered something that neuroscientists have been studying for decades. Our hearts might leap at a good surprise, but our brains love shortcuts. Surprises aren't their friends. Uh, that's something writer Kate Murphy experienced attending a Thanksgiving dinner several years ago where, where the hostess, without warning, broke tradition and served salmon instead of turkey roasted potatoes instead of mashed, and Kool-Aid instead of cranberry sauce. She recounts, While a few guests mustered the politesse to say the meal was something else, most reacted with undisguised dismay. Some seized, others sulked. One young guest actually cried. No one had seconds. It wasn't that the meal was that bad. In fact, the meal was outstanding. The problem was that it wasn't the meal everyone was expecting. Our brains are trained to expect certain things. Turkeys at Thanksgiving, presents under a tree, babies in cribs. But when things don't work out the way that they are supposed to, it may be that God is in them in an even bigger way. What would happen if we seized those opportunities to know something bigger, become something better, or even experience something more? I remember when it first happened to me. Once a month, I pop in my car and head across state lines to Lexington, Massachusetts to connect with the wonderful staff at Grace Chapel. Coming from the Midwest, it's not lost on me how significant that place is. In, in many ways, historians could say that what happened at Lexington and Concord was when our nation was born. But another Lexington out west, a small factory town in nowhere America, comes to mind when I make that trek. Going to church was important to my parents, but it was boring fare for me. The last thing that I could imagine was being a priest or, or a pastor. My mind wandered to other things on Sunday mornings. That God was up there somewhere. It was important to do the right thing, but Jesus was elusive. Honestly, I just didn't get it. I think it needed to come from the mouth of a friend. I was 18. We were on a road trip, and he had found Jesus, whatever that meant. 
Good for him, I thought. I get it. I'm already there, I thought. I'm, I'm just fine. But the more he talked about Jesus like he was real, like he was alive, the more it felt like that kind of Jesus was never real to me. And then out of nowhere, on a road north of nowhere, USA, it hit me like a ton of bricks. In my mind's eye, this skeptic saw an unexpected picture of Jesus that was both warm and powerful, loving and mighty, real and personal, welcoming me in and making me his very own. It was a surprise that pulled me out of my comfort zone and made me question everything that I'd ever known and everything I'd ever been. It was like before that point, I had no soul. And after that point, I had come alive. It was exactly the kind of surprise that God loves to create. Tonight on this silent night, we're we're not talking simply about expectations around Christmas meals or opening presents as beautiful and lovely as those things can be. We're not even talking about expectations around health, friendships, life, and love, as vital as those things certainly are. God is gracious in those things, but he rarely promises those things. Mary was waiting for a bigger promise, one that she could not fully realize at the time, one that her heart had to grow to fully recognize. The promise was was Jesus, a savior who would change nations, hearts, and lives, and is still changing them today. Tonight, we are lighting a candle for a promise that's bigger than traditions, bigger than expectations, and bigger than life. The true meaning of Christmas can turn the silence of any sadness into the silence of awe, wonder, and joy. We are lighting a candle for the promise of Jesus today received and a promise that we will gain tomorrow all the more. If that's a promise you've claimed for yourself, when you feel like God has let you down, can I invite you to just take a little bit of time this Christmas to to write down some some stories of old, some of the ways that God has stepped into your life in some surprising ways to turn something hard into something beautiful. Do that to remind yourself that God's promises still arrive, even if they arrive in different ways. If you're here and and you felt as though you have been burned by God or weighed down by just one too many disappointments, can I invite you to take just one curious step tonight? Read someone else's stories. Open the New Testament and read the story of Saul of Tarsus to see how God met him. Look up stories of famous missionaries throughout time and see how God met them. Then ask yourself, if God could meet you in a similar way this Christmas too. Lastly, wherever you find yourself tonight, curious, cautious, or skeptical, let me invite you to make some new stories. Know God's promises and imagine how your story might look different if your life was more a part of his. Tonight and tomorrow morning, we'll all gather in different ways to do some of the same things we have done for years. We'll pass it on to our kids. They'll pass it on to theirs. But something about tonight can be different, even surprising, if we make a decision to trust the God who faithfully gave us Jesus for the first time, or again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. 
this is not the kind of night that we expected. This is not the, the day that we planned, so many of us. But I pray, Lord, that even in this moment, you'll remind us of your son, Jesus, that, that you are for us and that you loved us when you sent us, Jesus. You invited us to know and experience life. And I pray, God, that wherever we're at on this journey, wherever those people who are joining us tonight uh, all over southern New Hampshire are at, God, I pray that you'll, you'll pull and tug them a little closer to you, help them to see and enjoy life because of you and step out into the world in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.